Cryptic writings are always stirring our nerves and captivating our minds. And with the recent shot at translating the Voynich Manuscript, let's discuss some mysteries of our own from the Bible that we would like to have answers for. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by a clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Anthony Alegria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And remember to be supporting your local church and being an active part in your Christian community. So let's talk about this Voynich Manuscript. Many of you may hear that name and say, I have no idea what that is. Let's just cut the chase and just get right to the Bible. But we're going to talk about this just for a few seconds. I say segue, and then we'll talk about our top mysteries in the Bible that we think need to be solved. So if you haven't heard the Voynich Manuscript, it is a 15th century document with a strange set of characters and images. It has plants, people, and aspects of the earth in our solar system, and it's all depicted in mystifying artwork. It received its name Voynich in the early 1900s due to being held in the hands of a Polish man named Voynich. And it's really no more complicated than that, the name of its name, but that's not its true name. Nobody really has any idea where this came from until recently there is an actual plausible translation of the book. After a long time of obscurity and a lot of really misinterpretations, people trying to figure out what language it's in, it actually appears that someone has now got a pretty decent take on the document. A British man named Dr. Gerard Cheshire asserts that the document is a proto-romantic language text. And by that he means it's a language that was before things like Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, all the romantic languages we have in early form of that, that was only used by commoners. So it wasn't an official language. I know a lot of times people hear Latin. Latin was at one point in time considered a bit vulgar and for different reasons, but even a more basic common language and something like that, just an everyday language that people would use. Not anything that would ever be used in official documents or anything like that. There's actually a lot of languages in the world that have sort of a official version of them and then a common version of them. And this was just a common language, supposedly, from a time and place where the people that used common languages didn't read and write. So it wasn't a document or it wasn't a, a type of language that was ever really written down. Cheshire says it was written by a Dominican nun who was the great aunt of Catherine of Aragon, who was the Queen of England in the early 1500s. Moreover, Dr. Cheshire says the book was written for Catherine as a reference book on Christianity, also including pagan religions, herbs, and even details on bathing. Essentially, the book appears to be just a collection of, again, it's written in a common language, it's not really written down, but also about common people's knowledge of things. So it wasn't an encyclopedia per se, but more just a common, casual detail of how people view the world. And Cheshire states that the manuscript also has stories in it, such as an earlier Queen of England carrying out a rescue mission during the absence of the king. So it's an interesting find, though there are some people out there who are questioning it. They say the research has not yet been peer-reviewed. And from everything I've examined, the concerns that people have with this current take on the book is that they're displeased with the fact that it didn't come from their particular circles. And that's, again, in our last video, people are designed to be religious. A lot of academia is actually extraordinarily um, of that way. And if you're not from their brand, then a lot of times they don't like it. Anyways, so that's the Voynich Manuscript. It's cryptic. People are starting to piece it together. I think we had some pictures playing for you. But now let's talk about some biblical things that we would like answered. Some biblical mysteries. Are we ready for that? Alrighty, so let's start with Pastor Amanda. Okay. And again, we call this the top four biblical mysteries we would <laughs> like answers for, even though realistically 
we have more than that, but these are just, we're each going to provide one and then do some honorable mentions. Um, Pastor Amanda, what is a biblical mystery that you would like an answer for? All right. So the one I, I thought of first was what is manna? And so we have um, a lot of detail or there's a lot of stories that surround manna in our Old Testament. So that's what um, the Israelites ate as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. Um, but there's really, even though we have some details, um, I was looking up in, in our in our Bible real quick, and it talked about how it looked like coriander seed. Um, it tasted like uh, cakes that were boiled in oil, and people used they either ground it or boiled it or baked it. They, they used it in a lot of different ways, and we know that they kind of they ate it. And it and our Bible talks about it fell with the dew at night. Um, but really, beyond that, it does seem kind of very mysterious because it's like okay, it fell with the dew at night, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you know, did they have a rainstorm, but instead of water, it was manna, and then how, of course, that happens. And there are some biblical scholars that, that propose different ideas, so um, I'd like to, I guess, throw it out to the people in this room, is what do, you, what do you think manna was, or what is your conclusion to this mystery? You know, I was always kind of taught and given the impression that the manna was tasty. You know, you hear jokes like when God ran out of manna, he gave people Reese's cups, stuff like that. <laughs> But evidently, there's a different school of thought that thinks that the, the manna was not delicious like a Reese's cup. I don't know, Amanda, you seem to have a little bit yeah, different take yeah, on it yourself. Yeah, I thought it was really plain. Like, I mean, it, it in the text, it does say it's baked like a cake or cake baked with oil. But, um, yeah, I really thought it. But that really also comes from there's a story, I think, in Numbers where it talks about the, the people of Israel get really tired of manna. Um, which I guess you would have anything, even if you think it's really good. Eventually you do get tired of it. And they, they, they plead with God for meat to eat. And God says, basically, fine, you're going to have meat. And actually says, uh, you'll have it until it comes out of your noses, which is a fantastic imagery. And also just proves how sassy God can be. And I love that. But anyways, um, but yeah, so I always kind of thought manna was kind of boring, like like almost eating white bread every day. Yeah, well, I mean... Even things that are good, like, I really like a lot of candy. I mean, I like Reese's. I like Twizzlers a lot, too. But you can eat, like, enough Twizzlers that you think you're, like, going to, <laughs> to die. You, you think it's going to be the end of you. This is just way too much sugar. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Pastor Mike, what do you think? Is it good, bad? Any thoughts on manna? I always thought it was good, like cupcakes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I could be totally wrong there. But um, cakes. we went a long way, though, oil. on the Passover meal um, and Jesus being you know, the manna from heaven uh, to those little wafers on that we receive. It. Well, see, now now you get into a dangerous territory of trying to rate what <laughs> Jesus tastes like, and we're not going We're not going the transubstantiation. What does Jesus taste like direction? <laughs> does Jesus taste like the styrofoam circles or no. the cardboard squares or the onion-filled um, matzo bread? <laughs> it's a great mystery. This is a great mystery. Anthony, what do you think? Manna good, bad? I always assumed it tasted something like honey, and I also imagined some sort of like flaky wafer thing, like you know those um, weird vanilla, chocolate, strawberry flavored wafer. wafer oh things? yeah! I always imagined something like that, but in a more primitive form that didn't have the little <laughs> waffle shapes into it. You know, yeah, and that, something just flaky. That's something else you could eat. I don't eat. know, but you know, oh yeah, you're the, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. That's just how I imagined it. I, I have no idea. <laughs> so what does it? What does manna mean in Hebrew? Pastor Amanda. It means what is this or what is it? So I mean, it really is. I love how even even <laughs> the, the Hebrew, name is a mystery, right? Even the, name, the Hebrew the people were like, greater. "What? <laughs> what is this? This is it is crazy." But that's what mm. makes it a fun mystery. Yeah. Mana. What are those? What, what are, are those? All right. Well, Pastor Mike, what is your mystery that's 
from the Bible that you would just really like to have an answer for? Okay, well, you know, for me, I think it goes back to right before Pentecost, everybody's in the upper room, they're fasting, they're praying, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and they decide, you know, hey, we've got to replace Judas uh, Iscariot, and they are, you know, casting lots, and it falls on Matthias. And so whatever happens to Matthias, it's like, that's the last time we hear of Matthias. Did they cast lots wrongly, or, or was the Apostle Paul the the you know the, the true the true the true replacement? Yeah, yeah, it is one of those things. But you were talking about the upper room. You you get other things that are interesting too, like somebody falling out the window and breaking their neck. Right. There 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 are many questions within this whole time frame in the the Book of Acts early church where stuff happens and you just like what? Yeah. When you get the story of the, the couple who comes and they, they sell their property and then they don't really give everything, they're holding stuff back, they're being a little bit put offish. I always feel like that's another story where I want to know what in the world is everyone thinking around that. Like, I'd like to see how full the altar was after that. Yeah, for real. Like, what, what was everybody thinking? Like, suddenly every everything changes at that point. Like, oh, my goodness, what what's going on? Um, Anthony, top mystery that you would like? Job. Job. Can we elaborate on what part of Job we, we need to count in for? All of Job. All of Job. Well, Job is an interesting book. It's definitely the oldest written thing, even though I, I, I hear some really compelling cases that it's even translated into Hebrew before Hebrew really exists. Um, Job is old. It's painfully old. But the walking to and fro on the earth with, like, the accuser, you know, you also get mysterious things about the book of Job where some traditions say that, the oldest parts of Job is just the beginning and end, and and Lady Wisdom herself comes to complete the book. Um, Job yeah, has, there's so much around Job. Like, okay, I would like to know a lot. What about this culture which produced Job originally? Was it the Hebrews? Were was it like you know a pre-Phoenet, not pre-Phoenet, Phoenician, pre-Phoenician people? Was you know where is this connected? How old is it? Um, and uh, definitely the. Basically, I mean, just to get it out there, um, the depiction of Satan is not the normal New Testament, like, devil diabolical one. The depiction of Satan is basically someone who has a job within the court of God to accuse things. And so he's kind of performing his function, even even if he's going outside the bounds of his uh, jurisdiction, per se, in the book of Job. Yeah. So there's a lot of really interesting theological things and historical things about Job that nobody has any answers for. I think there's a great mystery um, it, that Job addresses, and that is why does you know bad things happen to good people? And so I think the actual theme of Job uh, carries some type of mystery element to it, trying to address that um, in some yeah, and, way or another. And it, yeah, and it fits within in a vein of scripture, like an intellectual vein, which is moving towards the, the questions of wisdom and how we actually relate wisdom to life. And one of the things that we, we find is that, you know, evil, this sort of thing, it hates reason and rationality. And with the accuser, he kind of comes and he's very much like the, the crafty creature, the serpent in the garden. He just kind of loves death. He wants Job to curse God and die. He, he says, you know, if you do this, you'll, I don't know, I ran about Job forever. <laughs> um, Amanda, any thoughts on Job and its mysteries? Well, I think, yeah, because its ancientness is really fun. Um, and, and I remember reading a book as a kid that talked about how maybe the, the, the um, creatures that were described 
Um, could be a description of maybe some dinosaurs that were still around yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, I've always heard that too. And um, now I think a modern biblical scholar would probably say that it, um, it may have been referring to like the alligator and the hippopotamus. Yeah. And, and there's all these different theories. And this is, and this is again, that what, what makes it really interesting. And, and it, because it is such an ancient text, what also makes it fun is the questions like you're asking, like when we look in our world and we see the brokenness and we're like, where is God in the brokenness? You know, where is wisdom um, in, in this brokenness? How do we move from it? And that's such an ancient question. And I don't know, in the midst of the mystery, it gives such comfort to say, you know, this is something we've been struggling with for a long time. But um, and I think it would be cool to know some of those answers, but maybe the, the maybe, wisdom. Is maybe in the we should, if we're if we're needing answers for for <laughs> biblical stories, maybe we can come to Job and do it like Seder meal style. Like it would have been enough if we just had a date for when Job happened, uh, like a rough thousand year. Like I'm not even being specific. Like two thousand years before Christ, twelve thousand years. Like you know, just something. Just something. A general millennia. Give it within a, yeah, a millennia. millennia. Now I'll work with that. You know, it would have been, if we would have known this whole walking to and for the earth, it would have been enough. <laughs> if we would have known why his friends are such jerks, it would have been enough. Um, anyways. Um, That's totally well, true. And the patience of Job just listening to the friends, uh, you know. Yeah. It would have been Criticize him with friends like that who needs enemies. <laughs> and, and, you know, the friends are not much much more than the devil in that case. Yeah. And they're, not, Satan, they're very they're, much the accuser. Yeah, they, they no. um, yeah, well, it, it is. <laughs> who needs Satan when you have friends? All right, well, <laughs> when it comes to, to the, the question I would like have answered is when you go to the, the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this unnamed disciple. Now, there's a lot of theories on this. One of the ones that I kind of like is that it's more of a literary device where you can kind of insert yourself there. But there's also wild, crazy conspiracy theories out there too, that it's John who was married to Mary Magdalene. A lot of, there's a crazy conspiracy theory that in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, the first scene where you see Jesus perform a miracle, there are people who hypothesize that Mary Magdalene's not actually the you hear these crazy stuff where they, she's with Jesus, which, I mean, no evidence. I, I don't ascribe to that at all. But another one out there is that Jesus, uh, or not Jesus, um, Mary Magdalene and John, the, the Apostle John. Yeah, the wedding yeah. at Cana is actually those two. Yeah, I've heard that one. Um, which is really fascinating to think about. Dylan, you just Da Vinci coded us. <laughs> I, ju- I just did like 12 Da Vinci codes, but I un Da Vinci coded us. The Kingdom of the Logos code. The Kingdom of the Logos code is actually Mary Magdalene and John the Evangelist, John the Apostle. Because John the Evangelist may be a different person. Who, or John the Revelator. John the Revelator. They may all be the same. They may all be different. They may be the beloved disciple. They may be the beloved disciple. May not be. Um, it is funny. There's there. so many arguments for whether or not like the epistles and Revelation and the Gospel of John were all written by the same person. There's there's really good arguments to be made that they were. And there's really good arguments to be made that they weren't. Yeah. Like the writing styles are different and yet they're all very similar. You know, <laughs> so it's like, what are, what are we looking at and here? My rebuttal know? to that is like, has anyone seen any of the things that like I've written? Like <laughs> even me writing this podcast looks different than what I wrote like 10 years ago. If you've seen like a college student's work. Um, That's true. Oh, and yeah. the, the, epistles, the, place. the epistles versus the gospel versus revelation would have been written at totally different times in yeah, John's yeah. life. Anyways, Assuming it was the same John. Well, those are our four. <laughs> Manna, what it tastes like, what happened to Matthias, the unnamed disciple, and Anthony's Job. Now, we do have some honorable mentions, some other yes. things we're not going to spend so much time on, but other mysteries that we would really like answered because yeah. there's always stuff going on. Amanda, what would be your honorable mention on a mystery? So mine was why, um, so Esther, which is a book in our Old Testament, it's a fantastic story, but it never actually mentions God um, by name or really 
just God, the generic word for God or even the personal name for God, Yahweh. Uh, it's not in uh, Esther at all. And it is such a popular story. I mean, it got into our canon uh, predominantly because of the holiday that sprung from the story Purim. And people love the celebration so much that, that, that it really motivated those who finally gathered and officially made a list of, of the... Um, of our of the Old Testament canon, really the the, the Jewish canon, and so it, it obviously is very loved. So, but why was this thing so loved? Why was the story told and retold, and yet never mentions the name of God? Mr. Mike, what would be your honorable mention? Uh, probably the author of Hebrews. The author. Of, oh yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I you know I, I have. It's obviously not the Apostle Paul, even though it comes into our canon. Un on Paul's coattail, so to speak, because everything has to go back to an apostle. But I will get the pitchforks coming. I believe Priscilla is the author of Hebrews, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, but I'll leave that alone. I like how that's going to get more pitchforks than than John being married to Mary But it's a mystery. (laughs) No one knows. No one knows, yes. But it may. Um, The things that, yeah, the pitchforks are interesting. And, again, send your pitchforks monetarily. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I was going to say, y'all are talking about all kinds of crazy stuff today. Yeah, we are John the Evangelist all being the same person. John the Evangelist being married to Mary Magdalene. And now we have this. Priscilla and Aquila writing part of the Bible. Not Aquila, just Priscilla. Just Priscilla. They they are different. All right, so. That's your choice. That may be your. Maybe it was a. Well, Anthony, since you've piped up, what would be your honorable mention on a. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 5, there is the genealogy coming after Adam and after Seth, so through the Seth line of Adam. And in chapter 5, verse 24, it says this concerning Enoch, one of Seth's descendants. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. And that's all it says, and it moves on. It There's nothing more within the context. There's nothing more we can tell you about any of this. And so some people speculate that he is one of possibly two, and since he's possibly one of them, it might only be one. But Elijah was recorded to be taken up into heaven alive, and uh, no one else has officially except for maybe this Enoch. And so did Enoch die? Where did God take him? Like, where on earth did God take him is a literal question here. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea. Um, he might have also been taken to heaven, which is another theory. So I think that is an interesting mystery. If, if, you, if you have... Into Heaven Alive. It's like a sci-fi film. <laughs> it, it sounds like it would be scary, actually. <laughs> which which is bizarre. Twilight zone yeah. yeah, it does. It does. And it shouldn't be scary, but something about that is strange. I also like the language of, and he was no more, which is just, like, fascinating, kind of almost. Uh, you had mentioned earlier, it sounds like a mobster bop, boss would be the one that would say, like, and he is no more. <laughs> yeah, who who gave the account for this? Was it, like, the Kane Mafia? Like, one of those descendants? Like, what? What? Who was it who gave this account? Was that just the explanation? Like, oh yeah, Enoch. He Jubal was volcano. He's the one who makes, you know, blacksmith tools and other things. He makes iron and bronze tools. Yeah. You know, uh, Tony Kane. He's the one who kind of, you know. <laughs> he was no more. He was he was out walking with the Lord. He was no more. Yeah, this is this. We us. are getting the pitchforks. People are gonna think we're yeah, not serious. I'm people. almost ready to pick up the pitchfork. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that brings me into something I would like to answer for as an honorable mention is just the whole situation with Cain. You know, I, I, I don't have too much of, of qualms myself. It may be, I don't know, growing up on a farm, I've seen people who work well, people who don't, people who, who cut corners and they, they kind of do things without going the full yard. 
And it seems to me that's kind of what Cain does, but some definitive answers on what's the deal with Cain's sacrifice. What What's the deal just with Cain? Where does he go? People having a, a margin. So all this stuff, you know, what what's really just the deal with Cain? The whole nine yards. I want the full complete picture. I think that would be a mystery that I would like answer. Well, all good. All hearts and minds clear. Yeah. That's what you say when, when church is over. And then, <laughs> and then you go off to, to the other forms of fellowship. Anyways, if you enjoyed our conversation today and you have your own Bible mysteries that you would like answered or maybe even those for us to have fun talking about, send them to us. And it's something that we'll come back to because I think it's actually a fun conversation. But all the same, as we close, remember to support your local church. Take us with you. You can download us, iTunes, SoundCloud, a lot of different uh podcasting sites. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, help us on there. If you really want to share some of our content, we would really appreciate that. And you can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.